Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have the pleasure of bringing to the show Dr. Craig Joseph, who is has been a CMIO. He's been a CMO. He likes to treat children for a living and has been a pediatrician for quite some time. And Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I think that's all true. <laughs> At least that's what your LinkedIn resume says. So. Well, I am a pediatrician. That's accurate. So yeah. Awesome. And so what are you doing now? Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are and what you like to do now. Sure. So as you mentioned, I practiced primary care peds for ooh, a while, about nine years, and then I moved to the dark side to go work for a software vendor in Wisconsin who shall remain nameless, but it's epic, and was there for a while. And after that, became the CMIO of a Cerner health system, and then did two more CMIO stints at different epic systems. And now I'm the chief medical officer for an IT consulting firm based out of Madison. So which parts of Epic can we blame you for? So that's a fair question. And when I was at Epic for, uh, I think, six and a half years, which is 22 years in normal human time, I was blamed for everything. And so that's fair. The main thing I will take blame slash credit for are the vaccine rules. So when I was there, I was constantly complaining because people were complaining to me that, hey, it's pediatric uh, vaccine schedule is really confusing and sometimes it says weeks and sometimes it says months and it's really difficult to get kids caught up if they're delayed and boy that would be a great thing for a computer could do to, to kind of help and forecast. Too bad Epic doesn't do it very well and um, we actually changed that and with some customer help and a bunch of developer work we created pretty good infrastructure, which Epic, as I understand it, maintains up till today. And so when the CDC guidelines change or ACIP guidelines change, they're reflected in the Epic forecasting tool. And so I will take credit for at least being uh, responsible for that. But that's about it. Everything good that physicians like, I probably started. And anything that physicians don't like, I'll give you the names. If If people reach out to me afterwards, I'll give you specific names of who you can blame. Fantastic. Those immunization rules are tough because patients don't always follow the uh, rules that we want them to. They come in six months late, they skip, or we gotta, they change doctors in the middle and things get messed up. That's tough. So that must have been very hard work for you. Yeah, yeah. I take uh, it, the, the big problem was if you take these words that humans write and then try to describe them in, in code, Sometimes different uh, people, different experts have the exact opposite interpretation. And so that was really the hardest part was getting people to kind of agree. And I'm still confident that there are people out there that don't agree to this day that some of them are, are correctly interpreted, but it does make it much easier. So tell us a little bit about Nordic. How'd you get hooked up with them? Well, Nordic's a big healthcare IT, uh, had been mostly Epic focused consulting group. I've known They have a lot of former Epic folks, so I've known a ton of people who had kind of been uh, traipsing through, and I thought this was a good time. I've done some interim CMIO gigs, although my last interim 
gig lasted three and a half years. So I'm not so good at, at that definition of interim, but I was attracted to being able to work with lots of different clients and also to kind of expand to beyond just doing Epic work. As I mentioned, when I left Epic, I became a customer of Cerner. I'm interested in helping customers both with Epic and Cerner, working with chief medical officers, CMIOs, CHIOs, all those folks to make sure that they're they're using the software as best they can and really to kind of complement the vendor, thinking more about operations than just IT and, and clinical leadership as well. Fantastic. That sounds very interesting. Sounds like a good gig. Let's talk a little bit about some of your articles that you've written on LinkedIn, because I happen to follow these articles and they're hysterical most of the time. And if you don't follow Craig, you really have to because he writes the funniest stuff. One of his articles was back in 2018, Craig, this was your article, Leading the Curated Life. I really like this one. And it helped me a lot as a CMIO. I was pretty new as a CMIO at that time. And trying to meet the needs and demands of the physicians, and they want all these crazy things. And your article kind of put it in a different light. Why did you come up with this concept of the curated EMR? Well, it's funny you ask. Most of those articles or blog posts that I I wrote were, I wrote on a Thursday night flying from California to Madison. And so you had to, in my head, I'm like, okay, now I I have to get this blog post done because I want to write something. And so I was able to kind of push it all out really at one time to just try to kind of get my thoughts out there. I'll tell you what started it. What started it was two things, really. One was I, I read an article about a startup clothing company that offered eight articles of clothing and it cost $3,000 for those eight articles of clothing. And your choices were, were you get to decide the size and whether you like black or white. Those were your only choices. And so the kind of the value proposition for them was, hey, we, these are really nice pieces, articles of clothing, and we know what's in fashion and we know how it should fit and you should just trust us. So I read that and I thought that was interesting. And I kind of related it to, in the article, into my purchasing glasses. I can't see anything when I take off my glasses. And so it was always difficult when I had to go buy frames. And I ultimately encountered a manager at an optical store here in Madison who kind of worked with my wife and they ignored me as I was in the store. And my wife and this manager just made a decision about what glasses looked good on my head. And I didn't really think much of it until I started getting lots of compliments on my glasses. And it was almost hysterical, all all of these people complimenting me. And I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I was just a participant. And the idea, kind of uh, both of those things put together, I thought, if you know what you're talking about and you're an expert in the field, it's probably a pretty good thing to let that person do their work. And I did think it is similar to what CMIOs do. There's a... Physicians kind of think they know what they want and they have very specific ideas about what should be in an order set or what font to use and what size and all kinds of specifics about orders. Yet most of them don't have any either formal or training in in informatics or experience really. And, And so they think they know what they want, but they don't often know what they need. And I kind of said, hey, if you have someone at your organization who's an expert, you should maybe let them do their work and then try it out and then see if it works for you because that's ultimately you're going to get a, a pretty good outcome when you let them go. And I, I've encountered that across the country at different places 
where people who thought they knew what they wanted uh, ultimately found out they didn't. There was one time when I was working for Epic, I was involved in the implementation a little bit, and I was talking with the CMIO, kind of walking around after they had gone live, and the CMIO went up to one of the physicians and said, hey, how's that order set working out for you? And I think his intention was to show me how much work he had done and that the doctor was forever in his debt. And the the physician said, hey, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, no, the order set, remember, like you wanted a specific way. And remember, we went to lunch and like spent all that time with exactly what the orders were going to be and how they're going to be put. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no, I don't use that. And it it had turned out that, hey, he uh, thought he was going to use this electronic health record in this particular way. And maybe that was based on just an imagination or maybe it was based on a previous EHR that he had used. But when he actually got live, he defaulted to the more standard order set that I think was more could be kind of chunked out so that it it had different areas where he focused. And that would have been a great, I still think that is a great example where you can, hey, we have experts here and they know how this is supposed to work and they're not trying to practice medicine for you, but they they are experts in clinical informatics and they know about usability and user-centered design. Why don't you let them do their thing? And often, even though you might be scared a little bit, often you're going to find that that decision was a good one. And they're not always going to hit everything correctly, of course, but they're going to get you in the ballpark as opposed to that physician who spent a lot of time with the CMIO. And ultimately, both of them didn't spend that time very wisely because the, uh, the product really wasn't good, even though it was exactly what the doctor wanted. That requires the doctor to trust IT, and there's a little bit of a deficit, I think, in that trust department because providers going through meaningful use or whatever the traumatic moment in their life was with EHRs, they all have them, and they want control. So they insist that they want the smart link that pulls in all radiology studies, not just the last one, we want them all, which sounded like a great idea on week three of your EHR go live, but now you're three to five years out, not such a good idea. You're just bloating these notes with all this garbage and it's not a manageable piece of information anymore. So we do this as doctors to ourselves and I love the concept of no, deliver what they need even if what they say is that they want each little bit of customization. I I like your clothing analogy. Do you want black or you want white? And that's what you get. Those are your choices. Yeah, and I think I wrote that in the blog post. Uh, You have to bring it though. Uh, If this is to work, you have to actually know what you're talking about. And I've seen physicians kind of look for any kind of weakness, any chink in the armor, and then attack. You really do have to have that kind of clinical expertise where I feel I'm a pediatrician. I certainly uh, couldn't do what surgeons do, but I do think I understand pre-op workflows and intra-op and how the PACU functions. I, I know enough to be able to say like, hey, this actually would work for you or this would be a lot more work that you don't need to do. And so with, without that, if you do kind of go in and, and don't understand the workflows, don't really understand what's important to that physician or that's kind of a specialty, then you're not going to be successful ultimately because you will be giving the doctors evidence that their suspicions are correct. You don't really understand what I care about. You don't really understand my priorities and you're an IT person. 
And I like to always say that I wear two hats. I have a clinical hat and an IT hat. And then I joke sometimes that I, I'll put the hat on that's easiest for me in front of the audience. So I can blame, if it's an IT problem, I'm like, well, I'm really a clinician. So that's an IT thing. And, <laughs> so that's and then if, success yeah. here. Yeah, I just, I'm tips here. I'm just trying to help myself out. But you do have to do both. And if you can't do both well, if you don't understand the, the functionality and the technology and you don't understand the workflows and the priorities for the, the doctor or nurse, then you're, it's not going to be successful. The line from your article is, in the healthcare IT world, if you're not an expert in physician workflows, don't curate for physicians. And I think that is such a great statement, particularly for systems that have been resistant to physician builders. They always say, well, we don't need physician builders. We can't afford to pay them to build. You can't afford to not have them do the workflow design and come up with these tools. When it's done by others, you're not going to get the adoption. That's my two cents. What do you think? Well, I, th I think, of course, you're right on, and, and I, I think there are data to support that. The Class Arch Collaborative, which probably many of your listeners are well aware of, has found that, uh, statistically speaking, organizations that have active physician builder, and it's called different things with different vendors, but essentially these are practicing physicians who know enough about underneath the hood about how their EHR works that they can uh, meaningfully participate in and actually do a lot of the work create the order sets, create the documentation templates, uh, that if you have a good program that uh, you're statistically more likely to have physicians who feel that the EHR is a tool that helps them do their job, and it's not just a thing that gets in the way. And further, they have been able to successfully predict, again, this is the Arch Collaborative looking at the data that they're getting from customers throughout the world now, They've been able to predict the specialties from time to time of the physician builders because they would say, hey, it looks like your cardiologist and gastroenterologist are significantly happier with the tools in the EHR than all the other specialties. Perchance, are those the two specialties that are represented by your physician builders? And uh, more likely than not, the answer was yes. So I'm a big believer that the physician builder concept is so helpful. And even if they're not doing the building, which, again, I think is the best, is a great use of their time. And we're, again, talking typically about order sets and documentation templates. We're not talking about interfaces and, and other things. Even if they don't get a chance to do that, if they've gone through the, the classes and understand at a, at a superficial level how things are put together behind the scenes, they can have conversations now with the analysts that is almost impossible for non-builders to have. What I always say is like, I can I'll go with that neurosurgeon again. I can talk to a neurosurgeon or a surgeon even though I don't do their work because I understand enough about what they do. So even though I can't do the operation, I have that workflow understanding and understanding about their priorities and, and what's not important to them. And once you go through those physician builder classes, physicians have that. They can now talk with an analyst and use some of the lingo and understand, yeah, that's a real big project and yeah, that's pretty straightforward and easy to do and get an idea of what the tools are behind the scenes. So I, if I sound like a, a walking billboard for physician builders, it's because I am. Yeah, good. Absolutely. Uh, not everyone's a believer, but I've seen good things happen. I want to jump to another one of your articles. This one is Guiding Principles for Health IT. It was written December of 2019. You come up with six guiding principles. One of them 
I'm just going to read off here. My first and foremost healthcare IT guiding principle deals specifically with physicians. Don't ask a physician to do something in the EHR unless the physician is the only person who can perform the task. So physicians are busy and they're not always in the room when these decisions are made. And so someone may decide that you want the best person to enter in immunizations in the EHR, that's the doc. We're not gonna let the medical assistant to do it. That's a doctor thing. How do healthcare systems get out of that trap? Well, it's easy to get into and a little bit more difficult to get out of. However, with all of the attention that has been given to physicians being unhappy at work and stress levels going out and burnout being a common conversation now in, in, in lounges in the, in the hospital, I think it's important to kind of pay attention to those things. This is actually, that quote that you read is a nicer way of what I actually say in the real world. And in the real world, when I'm talking to uh, folks that work with me, I say, don't ever ask me to assign a task to a physician if he or she didn't need to go to medical school to do that task. So that's the ultimate one. If I didn't need to go to med school to do it, then I shouldn't be doing it. And so that goes for everything from putting in the preferred pharmacy to entering the vaccines. If someone else can do it, we really should be trying to practice team-based care and we should be having everyone on the team practice at the highest level of their license and their experience. And that's how it works in the rest of the world, mostly. And so I think the, the way to get out of that is to kind of look at almost everything that the physician does and say, is there someone else that could do that, who has more time, who has more availability? And then let the physician focus on what he or she should be focusing on, which is the, the patient in front of them. And so I think you can take that to an extreme that's not healthy. So, hey, well, I guess other people could be entering in orders. Well, there are benefits to the, the physician doing that, right? So when the alerts come, the doctor's really the person who should be kind of dealing with those. So I don't want to take that example too far, but the classic one that really kind of made me crazy is looking at a chest x-ray. If I'm ordering a chest x-ray and you're asking me questions like, is the patient pregnant and all kinds of other demographic type of information, I'm like, well, that's important stuff to know but I don't need to go to medical school to answer that question. So we should try to find, if there's a way in the EHR to put that onus on someone else, let's do that. That makes sense. It also typically puts me head-to-head uh, -head with my CNIO as I try to push the things to the nurses and she goes, uh-uh, that's not happening. And so then she's trying to push it back on the doctors and, and we end up arm wrestling. Have you yeah. ever had to uh, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with your chief well, medical you know, officer? <laughs> It's funny you ask. I'm probably going to show my age now, but that was my standard go-to uh, a long time ago where I would say, hey, don't worry, doc. Like, we're not going to make you do this. We're going to have your medical assistant or your nurse in the outpatient setting enter this information. And back in the day, that was actually very well received, not by the chief nursing officer or chief nursing information officer, but by most physicians. And probably about 10 years ago, I think that at least that's when I noticed the tide turning, that when I use my standard line like, oh, well, we won't make you do this uh, for meaningful use. We'll have someone else enter this information. And I remember a doctor looking at me and was like, no, 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 that doesn't work. Because I know if my nurse is not putting, is doing this, then she's not putting a patient in the room or he's not getting my patients out and ready to go. And that's going to slow me down. And that's when I thought, well, the game is over for me. 
So yeah, I, again, what I would say is, hey, the rule that I'm trying to follow is to have the most appropriate person do that. And if it's a nurse, then it's a nurse. And if it's a clerk, then it's a clerk. And if we have these people who, whatever they may be and whatever their training is and their, the level of sophistication, they should be working at the highest level that they can. And I absolutely understand that, hey, sometimes we're going to have to prioritize because we don't have as many nurses as we would like. And so then we are going to have to share some of that work with the physician. But at least we're having the conversation and we're appropriate. Sometimes we can get the right person to do the work. Other And, and there are times where I've seen nurses say to me, I would just, can I just do this? Just let me do this. Because every single time the doctor messes it up and they do it infrequently and I do it frequently. And so I know how it's supposed to work. So if you can do that, I think it's a it's it, working in tandem with your partners, it's a good thing. That makes good sense. You've got another line in here. This one's the controversial one. Follow the recommendations of the EHR vendor unless there are clinical or operational reasons not to do so. You mean I can't make this thing do what I want? I got to follow what, what they say? Yeah, I think it is controversial, but it, it actually goes back to that kind of curation thing. And I did put a little proviso there saying, hey, if you don't trust your EHR vendor to kind of know how your EHR is supposed to work, you probably want to reconsider your EHR vendor. So what that means is I've seen many times where someone tries to fit a square peg in a round hole. And if you hit it hard enough, it will go in. However, it will never come back out. And it's probably not the best use of that hammer or anyone's time. And so what I'm always trying to do is use the EHR, and we're talking about that because that's the big piece of technology for most doctors and nurses, use it the way it was intended to be used. And if we're going to not do that, then I'd like to have a good reason why. And, and there are plenty of good reasons why, but the most common reasons are, well, that's not how we do it. Or, well, I'm more comfortable with it this way. That's how I've seen it done. Or I think this. And I'm not a big fan because I, and I've told, I'm, I used to work for an EHR vendor and I'm a pretty transparent kind of guy. I'm happy to tell the EHR vendor, hey, I'm going to do what you told me to do with respect to this thing. And if it goes wrong, we all know whose fault it is and who's going to be responsible for fixing it, right? And that would be you, Mr. or Mrs. EHR vendor. So if I can follow their rules and their guidelines, I'm, I'm going to. However, if there are, again, clinical or operational, those are really the only two rules that I want to hear about, clinical or operational reasons why it doesn't work, then let's not follow them. So for instance, if we have a clinic with a specialty that is just crazy and they're doing all kinds of crazy things that are great for patients, but don't follow any of the standard workflows that the EHR company is recommending, then by all means, we should not follow their recommendations because they don't fit for the clinical scenario that we're describing. Or if our operations are, are set up in a certain way that we need this report to kind of flow this way instead of that way, and, and we understand why the uh, EHR recommendations are, are the way they are, but they don't work for us, by all means, we should feel free to ignore them. So sometimes I've, after, as I repeat this, I've had people say, well, we can't go outside the safety guidelines that the vendor wants us to follow because you said we should always follow them. I'm like, no, I, we always have that out. And as long as we really, I guess the main thing I like to do is be transparent and make sure we understand what we're doing. 
have a conversation to say we're not going to follow their rules because of this. We've talked with them. We think that the downsides are A, B, and C, and we're going to mitigate those this way. Great. We've now gone in with our eyes wide open. We understand what we're getting into. There shouldn't be any finger pointing afterwards if it didn't work out because we did try to do the right thing. But yeah, if you don't have an EHR vendor who generally is pointing you in the right direction as to how to use their software, that is a major problem. The reason I hear most often is that the doctor will say, I'm not going to let that millennial with skinny-legged jeans tell me what I am supposed to practice and configure my EHR in the way that they think they know what they're doing. And your point is, yeah, they kind of do. They have spent the time and effort to get into the EHR, understand workflows, and make the tool work to the best of the ability that it really can. Do you agree? Well, I do. And unlike you, I mean, I will say I don't have that anything really against skinny jeans. But if you can wear them, I say go for it. But I have all these sayings, and one of them, uh, I just keep repeating them over and over again, is that it's certainly not our job in the IT department or the EHR vendor's job to tell you how to practice medicine. You're supposed to tell us how you're practicing medicine, how your organization wants to practice medicine, and then it's our job in IT to make it as easy to do that as possible, right? We always want to make it easy to do the right thing, whatever the right thing is, and somewhat more difficult to do the wrong thing. A few extra clicks, a few extra hops, if you're going to do something that we think is probably not the best course of action, right? We're not going to put every antibiotic in the order set because we think 90% of the time these three are the ones to go with. And if you want to do one of the others, then you're going to have to take a few extra steps to, to do that. And so that's how I certainly am not going to argue with a physician who's a different specialty than me or has a lot more experience than I about how to practice medicine. But I will go toe-to-toe with that doctor about usability principles and user-centered design and how to make it easy for her to do what she wants to do. And and because that's where my expertise is in, in the clinical informatics world. And so I think if you just kind of agree, I mean, that's what I do if doctors were kind of yelling at me about me telling them how to how to practice. I'm just like, yeah, you're right. That is not my job to tell you how to practice. So why are the recommendations we're making about how to use the software, how to use the tool impacting your ability to practice medicine? Because there might be sometimes where like, oh, wow, you're right. Yeah, like that choice is not there. That choice needs to be there, 100%. That's an IT mess up and we're going to fix that. But often what they're saying is, well, I don't like it this way. Uh And again, I think if we can get you to try it often, two, three, four months later, you're going to be fine. And once you've kind of unlearned the the other way of doing it and learning the new way, it does make sense. And there are times where I love getting feedback after someone's been using a system or a module for three or four months because it's great feedback at that point. It's you're like, wow, yeah, that would we could just take away two steps by putting that piece of information there. We never would have thought about that. As opposed to if we were doing that pre go live, half three quarters of the information is just of no use ultimately because it's like, well, I think I'm gonna like it this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see if we can get it afterwards. And I it's absolutely painful <laughs> going live no matter what you do, but yeah, if you can follow the recommendations, usually you're gonna be good because they've done this before. That sounds good. Uh, Just to comment on the skinny jeans again, I think I have really fat ankles, and when I try these things on, it's like putting a tourniquet around my legs. 
Yeah, I mean, I, let me say that I did get honors in psychiatry in medical school, and I am not a trained psychiatrist, but I do think that honors six-week course at third year of medical school does allow me to talk to you about this. So maybe we take a little detour and you can tell me something about your mother. <laughs> okay, going on to the third article now. There's just one more I want to touch on. All righty. It's your latest one. Yeah, I'm not talking about my mother. I mean, I've noticed you're avoiding this, and I'm just wondering (laughs) if there's more there for us to... uh, Maybe this is a HIPAA violation, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll pass. Let's go on to what you said. Are quality metrics becoming MacGuffins of healthcare? You just wrote this article. Tell us what is a MacGuffin, and why is quality just not seeming to be working out the way we want it to in medicine? Yeah, so I listened to Malcolm Gladwell, and I love his books, and he's got a podcast, which is great, and I highly recommend. And he did a whole show uh, about MacGuffins, and I had never heard of the term before. And I think it's been around for a long time, but Alfred Hitchcock was the one who really started talking about it. It's the concept that there are things that people are in the movies where, hey, there's a group of people that are really trying to get this thing. And we don't really know what that thing is and we don't really care about that thing, but they do, the characters do, and we care about the characters. So we kind of ignore what that thing is and we're interested in the action. And uh, so it's the, the code to the supercomputer, or it's the secret code to let you understand the messages that is going back and forth. So no one's really interested in, in looking at that code or seeing what that key looks like, but we know that you're trying to get it. And so it's really the focus of, of attention, but it, it, it in and of itself is, is meaningless. And as, as I was listening to that story, I was thinking about some quality metrics, not any in particular, but all, all of them in general, and, and saying, hey, are we in danger of trying to achieve certain metrics, trying to achieve certain numbers or levels? And we're going after that just to get the number, but we don't, we've lost track of why that's important and tying that actually into a patient and to the care that that patient gets. And so, you know, it was just me kind of talking in that way. The other thing that I've seen some folks do with their EHRs is have, and this just makes me insane, is they have a quality section in their EHR. And I'm not worried about, hey, this is where I go to see my quality scores and the reports that tell me who's doing great and who needs some extra assistance. But, hey, this is where I go to document the quality information. And to me, if, if you've got something like that, then there's a problem because you shouldn't be going into your EHR to document quality information. You should be going into your EHR to take care of your patients. And so it's our job as, as CMIOs, I think, I hope, to say, hey, you just practice medicine. And as long as you give us the information that we need and you put it in the place that we want you to put it, we will extract that information and then kind of can calculate your quality scores that way. But if we make it a task and you have to go here to just put in some information that's really not relevant to the reason that the patient's in front of you, then I feel like we're cheating and it's not a good thing. And that was just my attempt to kind of call attention to the fact that we don't, that's what we don't want to do. The EHR should be a tool like a scalpel that you use to take care of your patient. And we need to try to be smart enough and our EHR vendor partners need to be smart enough to be able to kind of extract that information no matter where it is and, and put it in a way that we can say, hey, you're doing a great job with this metric that we as an organization or you as a department think are important indicators of how we're taking care of our patients. 
So that's really interesting. The quality that we try to do every day is really living in the unstructured data. And so until we can get at that data, having to click the box is a problem for doctors. So when we can have that in the unstructured data and extract it from there, then I think we'll be able to get at good quality. Until that time, we're checking boxes, unfortunately, which is just kind of annoying. Craig, this has been great. I really appreciate it. It's been a good conversation. You may very well be funnier than David Butler. I'm not sure that he's going to allow me to say that on air, but it, what do you think? Is that a fair statement? I try to be. Uh, mostly I just go with trying to be better looking than David Butler, and that I'll never achieve that. So really, I, my only hope is to try to be more humorous. And so I, I do, I try. And if anyone doesn't know who we're talking about, you can go back, I don't know, not a significant, a small number of podcasts, and you interviewed Dr. Butler, and then people can compare and contrast and, <laughs> and draw their own conclusions. Fantastic. If people want to reach out to you and connect, what's the best way to do so? Well, I'm on Twitter at, at Craig Joseph, just my name, C-R-A-I-G-J-O-S-E-P-H, and also LinkedIn would be an easy way. Just type my name in, and uh, if you're anywhere in the CMIO or IT world, you're probably already connected to me or one contact level away. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode. <laughs>